Welcome to the BizTimes MKE podcast and our weekly debrief. I'm Arthur Thomas, Managing Editor at BizTimes Media, and I'm joined on this week's episode by BizTimes Editor Andrew Wyland. Andrew, how are you doing? Oh, good. You know, we're we're busy, and I've I've been going to a lot of track meets lately, high school track meets, see my son run. That's been enjoyable. And between that and chasing work stuff and wondering if the Packers are ever going to draft a wide receiver. Uh, you know, Devontae Adams. Myself amused. Devontae Adams was not a first round pick. Just remind yourself of that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we'll uh, we'll hope that things work out from there. So. Um, also joining us on the podcast this week, Biz Times Associate Editor, Meredith Meyer. <laughs> Meredith, Hello. how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Glad to introduce you as Associate Editor on the podcast for the first time. Um, doing great things for us. Before we dive into our Insider Story Spotlights and our big story for the week, want to quickly highlight that uh, the annual Future 50 program, which recognizes the fastest growing companies in the region, is back after a two-year uh, hiatus. Uh, so if you are a involved with, own, lead a fast-growing, privately-owned company in the eight-county region, go to biztimes.com slash future and the number 50 and uh, submit an application. Uh, we are looking to register, recognize as many We'll recognize Group of 50 fast-growing companies in the region, and the deadline to apply is May 31st, so don't wait too long. also want to thank all of you who are uh, insiders with BizTimes Media. Uh, BizTimes Insiders uh, get access to all of our locked stories and discounted admission to some of our events and other benefits. It's the equivalent of $8 a month. Um, so if you are an insider, thank you. That helps support our work. If you're not, uh, again, go to biztimes.com, click on the subscribe button and show us your support. With that, let's highlight some of those stories available only to BizTimes insiders. Uh, Andrew, uh, why don't you start us off? What's your insider spotlight story this week? I'm sure we had an interesting one, um, about a Milwaukee based startup named Advanced Ionics. They make electrolyzers, which use low-cost renewables or nuclear energy to produce green hydrogen. Uh, the company um, just closed on a $4.2 million funding round. That's a pretty good-sized funding round for, uh, for a local startup from a, a couple of different sources. But I think the thing that kind of was interesting about this company is the founder and CEO, you know, a guy named Chad Mason, talked about growing up on a farm in in North Dakota, where he sort of first sparked the idea of the importance of, of energy and in, in particular the use of hydrogen uh, on the farm and 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 how that what you know having hydrogen in ammonia and and, and in in the fertilizer. And that's sort of what sparked him on this path to create this business. Um, and, and they're located um, over on 27th Street. Um, and, and they were, they came to Milwaukee as part of the Workbench Labs Accelerator. So it's an interesting startup that uh, people ought to know about. And uh, so a, a good story to check out. Certainly, yeah. It's one of the exciting some of the efforts of the, the industry clusters, uh, we get the water council, 
the Midwest Energy Research Consortium, Fab Wisconsin, which does food and beverage, Workbench Labs, as you mentioned, I think is a, an M-Work um, endeavor over there, the yep. um, Century City Tower building. Uh, my insider spotlight story this week is one on the Marquette ISM report on manufacturing. Uh, this is a monthly report that comes out. We track it pretty regularly, um, just as a kind of a gauge of how the manufacturing sector is doing um, in Wisconsin, in southeastern Wisconsin in particular. If you're familiar with the national ISM number that comes out on a monthly basis, this is similar, not directly comparable. The number for April uh, came out today uh, down a little bit at about 52 and change, which is good. Still suggests growth in the manufacturing sector. Any number number above 50 suggests the sector is growing. So that's good, um, but it's definitely off from kind of some of the recent peaks that it had up when it was measuring in the 60s. But the part that stood out to me was they do a, uh, a kind of like a poll almost in this report asking respondents, do you think things are going to get better, stay the same, or get worse in the next six months? And there's this big jump in the percentage of respondents expecting things to get worse in the next six months um, from March to April, uh, which is kind of a little concerning, a little alarming when you think about the, the state of the economy and all the pieces that have been they're already and been there for a while. I mean, it's not like inflation or supply chain issues or COVID um, or labor for that matter, labor market tightness. Any of that got particularly worse in March than it had been in the previous several months. So the idea that now everyone's kind of saying, mm, this might be sticking around longer, that's a little worrying. So uh, just an interesting barometer of where the economy is, even if it's not maybe where we'd like it to be. Yeah, if you, I'm more concerned about, you know, you look at the long-term trend of that index, it's choppy, but I mean, you go back a year ago and it's around the 65 mark, you know, and now it's coming in around the 53 mark. So it's been sort of a, again, it kind of goes up and down, but long-term trend, that's a, a, a pretty significant decline, you know, Two years ago, it was down to dumps. It was at 35. Mm-hmm. So you had a great year of growth with that index, but now we've seen it slide back. So uh, that's concerning. Yeah. Well, that, that 35 was in the, the depths of the initial COVID lockdown. So right. we'll switch then to Meredith and your insider story spotlight. Uh, I think this was a cover story you did. Um, Mm-hmm. At the same time, we were taking over as associate editor and doing a lot of uh, copy editing duties in our latest issue. So yep. you had your hands full. <laughs> Tell us about what you wrote about. Yeah, when it rains, it pours, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I am going to selfishly plug my cover story of the current issue of Biz Times. Um, it focuses on the Avenue Project, which is... Um, the redevelopment of the former Grand Avenue Mall in downtown Milwaukee um, on Wisconsin Avenue, um, which, you know, was once considered sort of a jewel of downtown commerce. And obviously that mall went through um, years of decline um, up until only about seven, six, seven years ago when two developers who, you know, do business here in Milwaukee, but our natives of Minnesota, actually, um, Tony Janowiak and Josh Kersnick. And they kind of saw some potential in this property. And basically, they embarked on 
what ended up being a seven year and $150 million uh, redevelopment project um, of this huge urban mall property. And so um, now it includes residential units. Um, they have a bunch of apartments in there that they've developed throughout the different um, little sections of the property. It's kind of a disjointed series of buildings along Wisconsin Avenue, um, but they've yeah, used some of those buildings and turned them into apartments. They've opened up about 200,000 square feet of, of office space. It's kind of an open concept on the second and third floor where Grafe, um, engineering firm Grafe is located now. They were kind of the anchor of the office development and they helped design it. Um, and others like uh, Milwaukee Metropolitan Association of Commerce, MMAC, Tempo has moved in there. Herzing University has moved in there now. Um, Good Karma Brands, which is the um, owner of a few radio stations here in town, they're going to be moving into the office space. And then finally, um, kind of the completion of this project, um, kind of what it culminated in was this food hall. It's called the Third Street Market Hall. I'm sure you guys have heard of it, but basically it's a food and entertainment hall. It has about 11 vendors so far open. It's uh, been a long road to kind of get this part of the project um, up and running just because of the pandemic and the strain that uh, the pandemic has had on restaurant owners. But some entrepreneurs now are, are finally open in this food hall. So I think eventually, you know, I was hearing from the developers as well as Omar Sheikh, who owns um, Carnivore. Um, he kind of headed the the Market Hall project. You know, he was telling me that they are hoping, you know, when when the the Market Hall is kind of at full capacity in the next couple of years, they're going to have about 25 to 27 local, um, you know, food and retail vendors. And some of those will be kind of in the built-in um, stalls or kind of kiosk style. So they really envision this to be um, a, very much a destination for not only the the project itself, the avenue, but also the West Town neighborhood. Um, they're already attracting people from across the region and, and out of state thanks to um, some of the events that have been held nearby at the Wisconsin Center um, and just other downtown events that have come back in mm -hmm. recent months. So um, yeah, it's it was an exciting project for all those involved and it was a fun story to write. It's interesting that you had some elements you mentioned that they're based in or, you know, have this minute, there's Minnesota roots um, mm -hmm. and how kind of not being necessarily from Milwaukee, they didn't have the same baggage with Grand Avenue that maybe some of the mm -hmm. people did. Um, yeah. and saw it as this opportunity of something. The headline we have in the story is center of the action and, you know, saw it as something that was kind of in the midst of all these things happening in the downtown and um, mm -hmm. area and saw the opportunity there. So interesting how that all worked, how that can come together sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll shift gears then to our big story of the week. Uh, and it's another one you were writing about, Meredith. Uh, we keep you busy. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. So we've been seeing this uh, kind of uptick in uh, unionization efforts, particularly in um, kind of service, hospitality-related industries. And you've been covering a lot of that. Um, what can you tell us about the latest developments? And I guess also just 
the trends we've been seeing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the latest union-focused story um, is one that I wrote yesterday. Um, a group of Starbucks employees um, at a Starbucks cafe in Oak Creek, it's on um, South Howell Avenue, they uh, voted in favor of unionizing. Um, and this this comes after they originally um, kind of voice this demand um, to be recognized by Starbucks, um, you know, as a, a union shop. That did not work out for them. Starbucks did not voluntarily recognize them. So they ended up filing for an election through the National Labor Relations Board, um, which is sort of typical procedure for um, union groups. And um, they took a vote and they uh ended the vote ended up uh 15 to 8 in favor in favor of union representation and um they've elected workers united as their um, bargaining representative um this is a union that now is uh representing about a total of about 20 starbucks stores Um, that have officially kind of been able to unionize through a vote. Um, But, you know, those 20 that have been successful in that effort are among about 200 across the country, 200 Starbucks locations across the country that are kind of in the process of these union campaigns, whether that's um, trying to get Starbucks to recognize them willingly, which probably won't happen, or going through the NLRB. for an election. So that's, that's the latest kind of union um, news locally. But I mean, this follows a lot of other um, kind of developments on this front. Um, Most recently, Pep's Theater Group, um, a group of workers at Pep's Theater Group, um, you know, have voiced uh, the desire to unionize and they are working with the Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality um, Workers Organization to do so. Um, Pap Cedar Group has, um, they recently denied the request um, the workers made to have their union recognized. So they will also go through the NLRB um, with an election soon. Um, and Pap Cedar Group basically just said that they would prefer uh, a governing body to, to take over that process instead of trying to figure it out on their own. They just wanted to get a third party involved um, that's what they said in a statement recently. Um, other than that, um, Collectivo Coffee, they have workers there have, they've been on a long road um, toward unionizing. Um, they first announced uh, their kind of initial vote. They, the workers did vote in favor of unionizing, but um, that was last summer and it took up until just recently to get the that vote, you know, certified and kind of approved by the NLRB. Um, Collectivo had, the management of Collectivo had um, just filed some objections and, you know, what appeared to be an effort to make it more difficult for uh, the workers to, um, I guess, yeah, have a a successful um, unionization process. But they were able to get the NLRB to, yeah, sign off and say the workers won in this case. Um, so I think they're, 
negotiating currently, and I don't really know where that stands at this moment, but um, that's, yeah, something that has happened in recent months. Other, um, other union efforts locally, uh, this past December, the Art Museum and uh, their workers who are represented by the International Association of Machinists um, were able to come to an agreement uh, with a, a labor contract. So that was definitely a win for uh, the, the workers at the Art Museum. Hospitality workers at Pfizer Forum and at the Deer District have been under a labor contract for the past couple of years now through um, MASH, which I mentioned earlier, the Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers Organization. Um, and they recently just got some um, pretty, pretty beneficial um, kind of adjustments to their labor contract that accounts for um, just the ways that their jobs have changed in a post-COVID environment. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I'll let Andrew in a second here kind of go, go through, you know, his thoughts on what this maybe means for businesses, but I think it is something that I've been following now, um, for, I would say, you know, the past, I don't know, year and a half. Um, and Andrew can talk about why maybe get into some of the numbers. Well, you know, what, what strikes me about this is, you know, we just kind of think about, you know, unionization in America has been in a long time, you know, a, a decades long decline. And, and particularly, you know, in southeastern Wisconsin, you think about Milwaukee's industrial heyday when the unions had such a huge presence and a huge part of our economy and a huge part of, um, you know, just would, would build the blue, the blue collar workforce and, and, and the middle class. But, you know, over many years, that changed as a lot of manufacturers saw opportunities in other states and then later in other countries to get workers who were not members of unions and who, uh, frankly, cost less. They're, they were paid less because they were not in unions. And so employers could get labor cheaper in other places and frankly needed to, because if they didn't, uh, their competitors would do it. And so, you know, it was sort of like if you didn't get on that trend, you would just you would you would get beat by others who did. So um, the globalization of, of the economy led to less unionization in America and particularly around here. And of course, we saw, um, you know, Act 10 which, you know, put a huge dent in public employee unions in Wisconsin, that legislation under Scott Walker reduced what public employee unions in the state could collectively bargain for. Then you also had under the Walker administration, Wisconsin became a right to work state. So, you know, you've all you've had all these things happening that have led to a smaller presence for labor unions. But in recent years, we've noticed a little bit of an uptick in union membership, at least in 2019 and 2020. 2021, it kind of ticked down again. But at least it seemed like the decline had, had maybe flattened and had started to perk up a little bit. But now I think what's interesting is when you look at where the labor market is at here, as we come out of the, pan the COVID-19 pandemic, we have an incredibly low unemployment rate in Wisconsin. What is it now? 2.8%, I believe, at last yep. last check. Um, so, you know, 
employers know this. Everyone is struggling to find employees to fill up the positions. So you have a labor market that that greatly favors workers. At the same time, you have, you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of inflation going on in the economy right now. So that's putting upward pressure on wages and, and workers, frankly, I'm sure are thinking I, I need to say my, my, my pay increase just to be able to have the same standard of living uh, and the same purchasing power. So, you know, I, I think that the, the recipe is there, although we haven't seen it statistically yet. We've seen these anecdotal cases that are interesting, but the, 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 the environment seems clear that when in a labor market like this, there's an opportunity for unions to make a comeback as far as their presence in the economy. And so these anecdotal cases, I mean, you know, Amazon, we had a, we had a warehouse, uh, a group of Amazon workers unionized, and that, that was pretty shocking to people. Um, and that, that made national headlines. So it's things like that that, that are, are cropping up. And we, I think they may encourage more workers to try to unionize. And again, the, the environment just seems ripe for it. So employers are going to have to keep an eye on this, I, I think. Now, I know a lot of employers don't really like labor unions. And it's, it's not necessarily because they're greedy and want to want to hold the pay of their employees down. I mean, I think that's the case. It's true in some cases, but you know, for the most part, I, I think employers see unions as just difficult to deal with. You know, it's just a harder situation. You got to do negotiations, you know, and a lot of times it just kind of hurts your culture. There's sort of an us versus them culture that sets in, uh, you know, workforce versus management. And I think a lot of employers would rather have a harmonious relationship with their employees rather than that adversarial one. So, you know, but, but I guess it just puts a greater emphasis on employers in this day and age to do a good job of communicating with and taking care of your employees, making sure that they are paid, you know, looking at the market and making sure they are paid a fair market rate wage for, for where things are at in 2022. Because if, if employees feel like they're getting a raw deal, the idea of unionization is, is increasingly appealing. And it's something that employers are going to have to are going to have to look out for. Yeah. I was going to say it's yeah. something also that goes beyond just wages. It's also into, you know, how people get treated and how, mm-hmm. what happens, um, you know, like the, the grievance process, um, yeah. you know, in more union setting, but um just, you know, what happens when there's a disciplinary issue or how does, you know, how do things get sorted out? Um, you know, so it goes beyond wages. And even, frankly, when it comes to attracting people right now, I mean, yes, pay goes a long way, but you know, people aren't going to stick around just because you're paying well, because they can find something else somewhere else that, you know, where they can get maybe the same or even a better wage. I was just going to say too, it's important to know, like, what industries we're seeing this trend in and it's the really service hospitality a little bit of retail especially for service and hospitality employees i think this is kind of um come to the forefront of you know the world of labor and in that industry just because these are employees that have historically been underpaid and you know historically not always treated you know, the most respectfully by whether that's employers or customers. And the pandemic has really shifted the way I think those industries are 
running and going to run for decades to come. And I think um, now is kind of the chance for these service sector employees to feel more emboldened, to demand more. You know, when they're sick, they should not have to come to work and be on their feet all day. Um, and they shouldn't have to feel threatened by the powers that be that their their job will you know be taken away from them if they want to take care of themselves. So, um, you know, instances like that is something I've heard from these workers that you know have spoken out about the conditions that they um, are hoping will improve through unionization. So, I think it just definitely is an indicator of kind of the treatment that has kind of gone unnoticed in some of these industries. You think about also like how the work has changed over the course of the last year plus where consumers have come, become maybe more demanding, a little more ordinary, mm-hmm. um, you know, got like, it's, you can you know, think of like Starbucks, um, you know, you're ordering, what people you know, the online ordering, just popping in, picking up the drink and leaving, you know, if I'm a worker who like, I enjoyed the inner, the, you know, interpersonal interaction of mm-hmm. of that work and now suddenly it's gone um so yeah it's um it's it's something that not all uh obviously not all service and hospitality sector employers are guilty of i just think it's more of a um you know historically speaking this is just what i'm hearing from from workers who have um been in this industry and um you know there's one example of an employer, Bounce Milwaukee, Ryan and uh, Becky Cooper and Ryan Clancy, they own Bounce Milwaukee, and they decided to form a union for their employees uh, before they reopened last year um, from the pandemic. They didn't really want to deal with the the different uh, worker conflicts or um, they didn't want to have to deal with difficulties when finding people to work. Um, so they thought that, you know, saying, you know, giving their employers or employees a chance to unionize through MASH would really help attract talent. And they were right because they had no issues hiring people, you know, when they were opening last summer, so, or last fall rather. So, but that's kind of a rare case. uh, And what we're seeing is usually, obviously employers are, um, or employees are really starting um, kind of the campaign and effort and, um, I'm sure we'll continue to pay attention to this trend going forward. We certainly will. Um, and I'm sure Meredith, you'll be the, one of the ones uh, keeping track of it. So appreciate <laughs> you joining us on the Biz Times MKE podcast, the weekly debrief. Uh, we'll leave it there until next week. Uh, I say. <laughs> This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.